0: On today's episode, I spoke with John Short about ABM, AI marketing, and demand gen. John is the CEO of Compound Growth Marketing, and he's been helping B2B tech companies drive predictable revenue for years. He started a firm that grew to be in the Inc. 5000 and grew at 478%, so he's uniquely qualified to talk to us today. Let's dive right into the episode. So first and foremost, would love uh, for you to just kind of tell us a little bit about what you're building with compound growth and how you help companies.
1: Yeah, so with compound growth marketing, I had, prior to starting it, I'd spent the first 12 years of my career in-house uh, working uh, with software companies like Logban, Monster, Workable, YesWare and others, helping them build out their demand generation teams. And one of the challenges that I saw was the amount of performance marketing talent needed that that um, b2b companies were asking for looking for et cetera, didn't match the amount of demand that was out there so there wasn't enough talent in the market to kind of supply all the b2b technology companies that needed performance marketing so if to me towards the end of my time working in-house it felt like a really interesting time to go out and start an agency where i could work with multiple companies at one time. And I had all these experiences from log me in workable and monster.com where I'd seen it done and, and kind of understood these tactics. And I kept getting people who were asking me for referrals for someone to hire for SEO or support with marketing operations or consulting for paid media. So it felt like the right time to kind of jump and start my own thing.
0: How did you determine who the target audience or customers you wanted to serve were, given that, you know, there, there's such a wide range of people that you could help?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I I looked a lot at the experiences that I had had in my career working with companies that were between 30 and $300 million in revenue. And I really I kind of understood some of the challenges that companies at those stages had in terms of. Looking to build predictable demand while they're scaling up their mark, while they're scaling up their sales teams, um, you know the challenges they had around technology, scaling channels, etc. Uh, and so I wanted to focus in a place where I had spent most of my career. So I looked at the companies that I uh, had been at over the previous, you know, seven to ten years of my career to really kind of hone in and nail down my target audience. But initially, I was actually looking at um, you know, focusing on European companies because uh, I had just gotten done working for a company called Workable. They had been started in Greece. I was the first employee in the U.S. And I thought my niche would kind of be working with companies that were looking to expand into the U.S. But pretty quickly, uh, just through networking in the Boston area, I was able to find a lot of local companies. So that, you know, we just kind of went from there.
0: So for, for your firm, what have been kind of the, the growth tactics or the growth strategies that you've used to find new customers?
1: Yeah, I mean, for us, uh, for the first couple of years, referral was huge. Um, that, that continues to be a driver, but as we get bigger, we need to look for new channels uh, to grow. But, you know, the quality of service, being able to deliver on um, the numbers and goals that we set out for is huge. Uh, following people as they move on to their next company uh, has been uh, a big piece of it as well. And then more recently, we've started to uh, eat some of our own dog food and rolling out the predictable demand system for ourselves and and really going down kind of the ABM route and really focusing on companies in certain stages with certain uh, people in place already that um, we have found we're most successful with and and go going out trying to get more of those types of companies
0: yeah let's let's dive down the ABM rabbit hole admittedly not my strong suit not something that I've done a ton of for myself so for for ABM when you're just getting started what did you already know that you wanted to accomplish with ABM and then what were maybe some of the things that completely surprised you about abm
1: yeah so i mean i think one of the things with abm is it is like the ultimate team sport right where where companies in the plg and inbound go to market motions they have been able to be really successful off of one thing right Uh, off of just a couple of channels dropbox was able to get pretty big by just focusing on their referral program, HubSpot was able to scale, uh, on the back of content and SEO, uh, and, you know, they've diversified since going public, but they were able to really scale up leveraging those channels. And with ABM, we really want to create this feeling like we are everywhere for the companies that we're working with. So I think the the biggest surprise, the biggest channel that I've found the most leverage with recently is. Uh, what some people are calling nearbound, but I think like partnerships and co-marketing opportunities are huge for ABM. Just trying to identify other companies in parallel markets that are selling into the same audience and looking to kind of leverage each other in order to get in front of each other's audiences and, and figure out ways to be successful and, and close deals.
0: I'd love to know more about your specific process, like how how you think through setting up your, your ABM campaigns from, from start to finish what that really looks like.
1: Yeah. So we think about it in, in three ways. One is sales and marketing integration, which in my case, it's just me, but it's having a strong foundation within the CRM, the technology stack, et cetera, and starting to identify who the right target accounts are that we should be going after. So. We built a proprietary model for ourselves to look at who our most successful customers were. And we pretty quickly found that it was companies that were 30 to 300 million in revenue, uh, usually selling products for 10 to 100, 10 to $300,000, uh, on an annual basis. Usually they have a CMO VP of marketing in house. Um, and, and so. You know, some of these characteristics, plus some others helped us to identify the types of companies that we're looking for. Um, And so I think that's the starting point of any really successful ABM uh, strategy is how do we identify the right audiences that were aligned with our sales team uh, to be going after? And then we start to think about what are the strategies that we can leverage, whether it's partners, whether it's outbound, whether it's uh, organic social, whether it's paid media that we can leverage to get in front of those audiences. And so we've leveraged three of those four so far and we'll pretty soon be launching paid media for ourselves as well, because we just launched our new website. So
0: for, for ABM, would you say that there is a clear I guess clear benchmarks you need to be at or things you need to have in place as a company to consider doing ABM or in other words, what companies should not be doing ABM or should be doing ABM? What, what's the cutoff?
1: Yeah, so ABM is a little bit nebulous uh, in terms of what its definition is because it can be so broad, right? So when I worked at uh, Yesware, we were selling our product for probably $20 a month per seat. Um uh, but we started to do ABM for some of the larger accounts that we were selling to, where we really saw they had hundreds of, of salespeople involved in the organization. I think there's a great article written by Christoph Jans called, he's a European investor, he invested in Zendesk, and he's had a lot of other uh, successes that, that he's invested in. And he wrote this article called The Five Ways to Build a $100 Million Company. And he walks through the five different price points that software as a service companies sell their, their, uh, products at. So a dollar, a thousand dollars a year, $10,000 a year, a hundred thousand dollars a year, and a million dollars a year. Uh, he's since added two more categories to that. Um, but that was, uh, a basic overview of, you know, that's a nice framework to use in terms of identifying what companies should be using ABM. I usually look at the, um, the ACV or the average contract value as a good indicator of whether ABM is going to be a, the right fit for a company or not. Um, right now, I think companies around $50,000 selling a product for $50,000 and up can probably be leveraging ABM in order to be successful as a, as a successful piece of their marketing mix. Because that size deal warrants the different strategies that a company should leverage in order to uh, be able to see ROI on, on the efforts that they're putting in to really put a personalized touch and really focus touch on this couple of key uh, accounts rather than just kind of going inbound and looking to collect as much data from, from different companies as possible.
0: When you look at ABM and in general, especially with other people or or even yourself, I guess, if you can think of any examples of this, are there any big no-no's or things that you commonly see people doing wrong in ABM?
1: Yeah, so uh, the number one thing that I see companies do wrong is they launch their ABM strategy. And the first thing they do is go out and buy Terminus. So they kind of jump to launching uh, paid display awareness campaigns. And they start tracking impressions and they think that's what ABM is. And ABM is really, should be focused on the alignment between sales and marketing and agreement upon who the target accounts are, agreement upon what the criteria is that would prioritize a lead for the sales team to reach out to them, agreement upon kind of how to surround this audience and start to build awareness, and then also think about How do we target the silent buyers in the account? Because the average enterprise sales process involves five people at the company you're selling into. And so how do we get in front of the CFO to handle objections? How do we get in front of the other people who are inevitably going to be a part of the deal? So it doesn't get held up because they've never heard of your company before your product before. Um, and so the, yeah, that would be the number one thing. I think too many companies skip. The kind of tough stuff of driving alignment and focus on just getting display impressions in front of people it's it's it's, a, it's crazy how often that happens uh, how yeah, often we see that totally
0: I, I want to jump around across a couple of different topics. I want to start with demand gen in general when when you look at everything you've done for yourself for other people, what are some of the campaigns that kind of stand out to you as particularly interesting of, of things that you've worked on in demand gen um Sorry, repeat the question. Yeah, just um campaigns that you've either run for yourself or for others that have been particularly interesting.
1: Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. So uh there are a couple I really like getting inside the mind of the user. So at compound growth marketing, we build out the buyer's intent journey where we look at different stages uh, and inflection points that users go through on their journey to ultimately coming in market and purchasing a product. So I worked at a couple, a company a couple of years ago called Workable, um, and uh, it was an applicant tracking system for small and mid-sized businesses. And one of the things that I kind of identified would happen in the process, and actually the company had already identified and built out some of these, was uh, before somebody is going to post a job, which is a great place uh to start with workable they would search for job descriptions and so um the company had already actually before i started built a library of 150 job descriptions and they were you know in total driving around 15000 visits a month um uh, to the site uh, and when i got there i had already kind of worked with some ats companies so i was aware that i felt like there was an opportunity to develop job description content. And so, you know, thinking about the buyer's journey before you post a job, you're going to need a job description. So we wanted to think about, okay, we know the search volumes there. Let's build out a lot of job descriptions. We already had a fair amount, but let's update the, uh, the mid intent funnel or the, the conversion in that on that content. So people could easily copy and paste that job description. Load it into Workable and post that job out to the fifteen plus job boards that you're able to post to at that time, so we created a really smooth experience from people who were you know coming into market but not quite there, and we created a nice kind of connector to get them to get into the product and with workable, we saw an improved conversion rate when people posted a job we saw an improved conversion rate when people posted a job and got candidates. And so when we did that, we already, we were creating uh, trials that were one step ahead of the average trial where they already had a job description and a job to post in place. So all they had to do was come back the next day and find all the candidates that had already been populated, that had already applied for them. So those are the types of experiences that I really enjoy. I think of that as like a, a creative experience we did. You know, similar stuff over the years with our clients of building out different free tools. Um, Drift had Test Drive, which was a, a chatbot that you could impose onto your website to see what Drift would look like on your site. We saw a lot of success there. We've built templates in Excel um, to kind of create that mid-intent funnel and get users to come in when they were really having a pain. So. Uh that's, that's the, the piece of demand generation that I really uh, kind of, those are the problems I like trying to solve.
0: Yeah, I like it. Um, it, it. Let's talk AI for a sec in regards to these things. So uh, we, we've talked ABM, we've talked demand gen a little bit in general, across everything that you've worked on now, looking at what's coming with AI, what's already here and what might become of it. How do you see it reshaping any of this, whether it's demand generation or go-to-market, ABM? Where, how do you think AI patches in there, positively or negatively?
1: Um, yeah, so I think it's going to be a positive. I think there's going to be a larger emphasis on data quality because the I see that we're going to have like data feeds, right, to collect data that can be forms, that can be analytics, that can be data augmentation tools like zoom info or six Sense that that feed us data about the customer that we're going after i think that the marketing automation system the cdp or the crm whatever wins is kind of the database of record in whatever company it's going to be critical to have accurate data there because i think the output from there in terms of the email the ads uh the ad copy uh the different content that we produce is going to be able to be highly personalized as long as the data that you're entering into the CRM CDP or marketing automation system is accurate. And so I see a world where, you know, there are more customized email drips based on how that we can't even imagine right now, based on what a user's product usage is during a free trial period, based on who they are. Right. If the CEO of Ford comes in, uh, and signs up for a trial, we're going to be able to provide a really highly personalized email drip for that user, um, in order to contextualize our product within the challenges that Ford is facing. Um, so I think that's one, the other is data collection. So right now we call a lot of the data we collect on our customers is like more qualitative data, but we're going to be able to kind of summarize and, uh, analyze data at scale that we haven't been able to before. So, um, you know, we had a company a couple of years ago uh, where, you know, a a lot of people talk about asking in the form, how did you hear about us?" But I think you miss out on, on a lot when you ask that question in the form. And so we've really pushed a lot of the companies we work with to ask that question during the sales process. And so being able to pull that data, you know, when uh, through listening, um, software like gong or chorus, being able to hear the answers, summarize that data and actually input data into the CRM of how company XYZ heard about us is going to be really powerful. Or like, you know, a question that I'm asking a lot during the sales process that I need to track is like, how much are you spending on a monthly basis uh, on paid media spend? Uh, That's a really kind of important question for us. And, you know, the idea that AI could listen for that answer and automatically input input that field into Salesforce um, or HubSpot CRM, that's really powerful uh, in terms of, you know, how it's going to enable sales and marketing to work closely together and also help with like, you know, creating a more uh, fluid experience across marketing sales and the customer success team. So I think there's a lot of opportunities, both in, um, how we market, but also in data collection, that's going to be really exciting.
0: And, And, you brought up in there how about paid media and how important that is. Um, just really quickly as, as we kind of wrap things up here, two more questions. First off on the, on the paid media front any pitfalls, common mistakes that companies make or, or things that we should be made aware of that maybe we wouldn't know otherwise? What what tips can you give to help us uh, improve our paid media?
1: Yeah, so I think creative is, is at the center of a lot of the challenges that companies face when they're doing paid media. Um, so I would say, You know, really getting to understand your customer, building out that buyer's journey, looking at the inflection points and figuring out the right points to target them and the right message to put in front of them at the right time. Uh, That's a little bit general. I have seen recently, we love LinkedIn. We do a lot of advertising on LinkedIn, but we have a lot of customers these days who are coming to us and they're over-indexed on their marketing on LinkedIn and they're missing out on significant opportunities to grow pipeline by skipping Google ads because they don't think their audience is there. I think we're in the golden age of Google search right now, where we know millennials who are now in the C-suite are, uh, and, and executives, millennials are now executives and in the C-suite, um, are going to Google as a part of their purchasing process. So we know that's a place we need to be, um. And a lot of companies are skipping over this cause they don't want to do demand capture for some reason. And it, it boggles my mind because we're able to come in and immediately help a lot of companies grow pipeline relatively quickly uh, by unlocking this channel for the companies we work with.
0: Last one around tools. You, we've talked a lot of, about a lot of different channels, a lot of different ways of doing marketing today across all of it. What are the MarTech tools that you couldn't live without?
1: Uh, I think Crossbeam is one and I still love HubSpot. I think they're the one marketing automation system that continues to innovate. Uh, and then, uh, the class of tools around like zoom info, uh, revenue base, we're huge fans uh, of those tools over at compound growth marketing.